0: This morning, praise the Lord. Proverbs chapter 30. We're going to go there in the word of God. Proverbs chapter 30. I want to really encourage you to be here for the um, movie tonight. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It will really challenge you. And you might want to invite your father. If he's nearby, you ought to thank God that you have him around. Call him up today and say, Dad, come on, I want to take you to the movies. And bring him here. Proverbs 30, we're going to go there in the word of God. Edward VIII. Edward VIII was the king of England. He was not married. You're king. You have your choice. Edward VIII made a choice. He wanted to marry a woman named Wallace Simpson. The only problem was Wallace Simpson was an American divorcee english law forbade the king from marrying a woman who was divorced this man so loved wallace simpson that edward the abdicated the throne of england he said i would rather be married to this woman than be the king of england and he abdicated when he did that, there were people who said, uh, "This is the most romantic relationship of the 20th century." So you can't get more romantic than a man who, for the love of a woman, would leave the throne of England. The problem is there's the rest of the story. And that is that he did this in the 1930s, right before England was about to go to war with Germany and step into World War II. In other words, homeboy stepped down from being king right when his nation desperately needed him. Added to that, this woman, Wallace Simpson, a few years ago, British intelligence released... They, have, they keep files on people for 50 years. When the 50 years are up, those files are now open to the public. And the files on Wallace Simpson were opened up. Turns out that after he married her three times, she had affairs on him. He left the throne of England at the most critical time right before war to marry a woman who had no value for the marriage covenant. And yet there were people who labeled it the most romantic relationship of the 20th century. I believe, as we head towards Valentine's Day, you and I need a right view of romance. Because this story illustrates how people twist it and get it all wrong. I want to preach a sermon on romance this morning. Proverbs chapter 30. And we'll begin reading in verse 18. And I want to talk to you about romance. The proverb says, "There are three things which are too wonderful for me, yes, four which I do not understand: The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a virgin. Verse 20 says, this is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wickedness. Romance. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to help us this morning. Make your word live. God, help us not to be uh, deceived by all the lies that this world would cause us to follow after that leave broken and devastated hearts help us to understand the romance of the soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to begin. and I want to talk to you about the search for romance. And let's think about this proverb. What a beautiful passage of scripture. The writer of this proverb is wondering at nature. He says that when you look at nature, you, you marvel at how God created things. He says, these things are so wonderful. The eagle in the air and so if you know anything about the eagle the greatest of all the birds um, that an eagle when it flies does not flap its wings an eagle soars it picks up wind currents and it just simply this massive bird can just soar in the heavens and it's amazing because it's effortless And then he mentions a serpent on a rock and uh, that snakes don't have legs. They don't have feet or fingers and yet they're able to move um, the way they do. And he says this is an amazing thing. He says you can look at a ship that cuts through the water and and how uh, uh, through the laws of physics something that appears should sink and manage the waters and stay upright and go right through a storm. And then he adds to what we're going to preach on this morning. He says, you know what else is an amazing uh, feat of nature? The way of a man with a virgin. That when you look at love and romance, when you see a young man come of age um, and that young man uh, falls in love with the girl and you see the transformation that takes place in him and in her uh, based on something that God has put in them he says it is as amazing as beholding an eagle flying in the air It is a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, It is nature. um, And let me clarify this morning, when I talk about romance, um, I am not talking about fornication. I am not talking about sex this morning. I'm talking about the beauty of a young man who falls in love uh, and how that shapes his life. um, And that couple gets together and they go on and have a family together. That is a wonderful thing. That is a natural thing. It is the way God made people. And may I say to you this morning, with all due respect, I don't care what laws they pass. I don't care what special interest group tries to redefine marriage. You're not changing nature. He contrasts this in verse 20. The way of an adulterous woman, she eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wickedness. It was meant to be a contrast between the beauty of a of a a young man and a virgin and the way this man is around the girl that he loves and wants to be his wife and the care and the concern that's involved there. And then he draws this contrast and he says, fornication and adultery is an entirely different thing altogether. What we are talking about is romantic love. Years ago, Clement Okusi, some of you remember him, he preached her last year as a church full of young people in in South London. He's a friend of mine, and he called me a few years ago, and he said, Pastor Ruby, can you give me any sermons to get people married? I said, I wish I had some. And uh, he goes, I got all these single people here, and they're not getting married. And and I told him, you know, you want a sermon? I'll send you a sermon. I'll send you a sermon on fornication because if these people will stay clean, they will want to get married. Nature God has sown this in the nature the same way an eagle flies or a snake slithers uh, or a ship sails. He has placed this uh, inside of man. Uh, The world is searching for this kind of romance. People long for this, it is deep in the heart uh, of us, it is innate. It is an interesting thing. I read an article about how in universities, uh, some universities, especially small-town universities where kids get away from home and go off to a school, um, that uh, things are so bad. They say there's no more dating in college. You don't have boyfriends and girlfriends. They don't even pretend to do that. It's simply hooking up. That's all it is, just hooking up, uh, no strings attached, uh, just simply uh, we're going to lay about uh, and we're going to do this. Uh, and yet these same young people who will do this um, are also looking desperately for their soulmate. Or they may be living like this, but they know this is not romance. And they entertain the hope and the notion that one day they're still going to find that romantic love, that way of a man with a virgin. Why do you think there are so many dating websites and match.com and eharmony.com and Christian singles? Are you out of your mind, .com? Because uh, there's this notion that out there there is this romance, there is this soulmate, there is something uh, 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 clean, uh, and it's not the nonsense that I'm doing, uh, but out there there's this, this man or woman that's going to bring all these romantic feelings out of me. I was reading about these websites, and it was very interesting. There, there's actually a website called eHarmony Disasters. And in this, it talked about uh, a couple of thoughts. One was that a lot of, a lot of women complained that they would, they would put in their, in their profile. I thought Chris did a great job last night mentioning how they found out on these dating websites that men look at the pictures, girls read the profiles. I don't know if, I don't know if that shocks you. But uh, they say these women would fill out these profiles, all these levels of compatibility, and then they would get these matches of men that were exactly what they wanted. They had everything, like everything that girl said she liked, he is. Uh, and so these women would begin to develop relationships, one after the other, and they said, when well, it was all said and done. Uh, homeboy was from Nigeria, and he was trying to scam them out of money. And they found out that these Nigerian and Ghanaian money scammers have, are now infiltrated all the dating websites to take advantage of, of ignorant women who go to dating websites. One man said this. He said, where do I start? I thought eHarmony would be a positive experience. I'm 61. I've been told that I'm handsome. I'm in better shape than I was five years ago. I exercise regularly, and I get matched with a six-year-old woman who looks like my grandma. Um, listen to this. This is fascinating. They did a behavior experiment, and what they did is they took people, total strangers. And they sat them in a room, and all they were told to do was to look in a total stranger's eye. I assume it was male and female, but they were to look in a total stranger's eye for three minutes. They were to sit there and look at a person they never met before for three minutes and say to each other, I love you. Within three minutes, most people could not last three minutes. Inside of three minutes, they were crying, they were breaking down, they came apart emotionally for two simple actions, to look at another human being's eye for three minutes and to say the words, I love you, people can't handle it. There's something inside of us put there by God. These are very, very potent things working in the human personality, instinctively we know that there's something to romance. Do you know that more than half of all the paperback books sold in America are romance novels? Three billion romance novels have been sold in the last 20 years. Listen to this quote. There's a woman, a psychologist named Julie Slattery, She reports that more and more women are clinically addicted to romantic books and that for many women, these novels promote dissatisfaction with their real relationships. Some experts claim that there are parallels between what happens to a man when he watches pornography and what happens to a woman when she reads a romance novel. That there's something that uh, we crave and we long for romance, uh, and if you're not careful, you will be involved in this, lady, and it can mess you up. It can make you very frustrated or dissatisfied. If you're married, you'll become dissatisfied with your husband because he doesn't look like Fabio. Fabio. And, you know, it, life's not as romantic uh, because you imagine some guy swinging from a vine, you know, in Hawaii. Uh, and uh, your husband comes home in a weird shirt that says, Ernie. And, uh, you know, and it's just like, uh, ah, yeah. And if you're a single woman, you read this stuff, you will know guy will be good enough for you. added to that is the perception that Christianity and the Bible is short or is considered short on romance unfortunately you say Pastor Ruby's preaching on romance this is a church, there's ain't, ain't nothing romantic about church you know what I mean this, is, this isn't where romance happens the idea that Christian girls wear burkas and uh, you know just this real you know staunch and dry kind of anti-romantic flavor, marriage is all duty Just do your duty. And I appreciate that. I understand there's a marriage that includes duty. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, you know what he said when he met his wife? He said, she will do. That's not very romantic. (laughs) So you have that virgin Christianity, she'll do to, you know, twilight. I want to marry him because he's a vampire. And this whole twilight thing. Say, why, why is it so romantic? Because it's romantic. You know, vampire? You want to, are you crazy? You want to marry a vampire? Are you out of your mind? But it's romantic. And yet, if you ever read the Bible, you will find some of the most romantic relationships in all the Bible. The Bible says that when... Isaac was going to marry Rebecca you know his servant Abraham's servant went and found Rebecca Isaac had never laid eyes on her and he says listen I want you to be the bride to my master's son and and you know here's some jewelry and he's a great guy and six two and uh, you know and you need to come and and the Bible says that Rebecca never having even seen him just on what she heard about him said okay and and that meant leaving her family getting on a camel and riding for two weeks on the back of a camel to meet a man to marry that she had never ever seen before and and when she gets there the bible says that she saw Isaac and she said who is that and I told our teenagers that if you look up in the Hebrew it was actually who is that I mean it wasn't just I mean it was you know who is that and they said, that's my master's son. And the Bible says she put on a veil. And when Isaac saw her and said, that's her, he went and, and met her. And we don't know what they said to each other. All we know is that their courtship lasted from the camel to the tent. And that was it. Pretty romantic story. They had a son. His name is Jacob the Bible says that one day Jacob meets a girl named Rachel and is just smitten with her and so he goes to her father and says I want to marry your daughter Rachel what do I have to do I'll tell you you have to do you work seven years for me and if you work seven years then I'll I'll uh, I'll, uh, uh Let you marry my daughter. And so the Bible says, he says, I'll do it. He worked seven years for her. And then it says the words that it was like a short time for the love that he had for her. That's wrong. Don't tell me that's not romantic. That this guy would work for her. Amen. Ladies, make him work for you, young ladies. Make him get a job. Say, I want a date. You want to go out? You got any money? No, listen. (laughs) You get a job. And then on their wedding day, and, you know, she's wearing a veil and everything, and so he marries her, and he lifts the veil, and it's not Rachel. It's her sister that don't look like her, Leah. Whoa. And he runs back to the father. I married Rachel. He goes, well, in our custom, the older daughter marries before the younger daughter, and so, uh, but you can marry my other daughter too just seven more years. And Jacob says, I'll do it works 14 years that's romance that's romance and so this idea that somehow you know that there's no romance there there's real but there's romance beloved is not what the world has okay what is true romance how would you define romance this morning because in our text the scripture calls it wonderful if you were to look that word up the original hebrew it means something high something separated from the routine one translation says it is a miracle that it is something that you cannot put a formula on it is it is something that is powerful and may i just throw this in for free this morning and i speak to all the husbands here women are incurable romantics Wake him up right now. Say, listen to this. Get up, okay. Women are incurable romantics. Okay, this is something that that is not formulaic. It is something that that uh, that is uh, uh, something that men have to understand. That is an amazing part and feature of how God created them. Did you read the article in the paper the other day about a judge who sentenced a man to take his wife on a date? Apparently, it was her birthday, and he forgot. Now I'm so glad there are no men like that around here. He never said happy birthday to her, and so she's waiting all day, and he, and finally, she, it's my birthday. And she starts giving a hard time, and they have a bit of a scuffle, and I guess he pushed her down onto the couch. And so she said, I'm calling the cops. And so the police came and arrested him, and now he's before the judge, and the judge who's not making light of domestic abuse seen real domestic abuse and says, you know what, this couple just had a spat and he pushed her onto the couch and so he didn't want to throw the book at him and so he said, you know what, I sentenced you to take your wife to Red Lobster. That's what he did and he, he, he sentenced him to take his wife to Red Lobster on a date. How I many you of know that doesn't really please her, you know what I mean? This is not very romantic. Very interesting when you think about where romance comes from. One is it has nothing to do with looks. There's more to romance than physical attraction. I was in Australia and I was working on this room with Pastor Walsh, and he was telling me that in Australia, when you see a pretty girl with an ugly guy, they say he's hitting above his weight. Turn to your husband right now and say you're hitting above your weight. <laughs> <laughs> because there's more involved in romance than just sheer physical attraction there's more than biology involved pastor warner sent me an interesting article about pheromones you know what pheromones are pheromones are what that what animals an odor an animal emits when it's in heat and and they say that you know this odor you know uh, you know a a a a rottweiler uh, you know in big country does that and uh, uh, you know and, uh, and pit, pit bulls go crazy in the great northwest you know just it, it, they emit an odor and it, it does something. And so people say, well, there must be something to smells and odors. And so they're getting into this thing now where, you know, uh, uh, colognes and perfumes, they're trying to catch some of this and say, you know, you put on this cologne or this perfume and you're going to be irresistible. You're going to put off an odor. You're going to trigger something in all the pit bulls uh, in the city, you know. (laughs) They're actually having pheromone parties where where people and I'm not making this up people go to a party and instead of meeting other people there's a bag of dirty t-shirts and you go through and smell them seeing if one of them triggers some sort of romantic feeling inside of you how many know that doesn't sound very romantic come on over and smell some dirty t-shirts you know more than economics just marrying somebody for their money is about the least romantic thing somebody can do bible says better a dinner vegetables with somebody you love than a steak with somebody you hate okay so where does romance come from where do we get that term romance or romantic that's romantic that's not romantic He surprised me, and he remembered a gift that I mentioned to him nine years ago, and that's romantic. The judge ordered him to take me to Red Lobster. Not romantic. You know where it comes from? It's rooted, the term is rooted in the romantic languages, those languages that were derived from Latin, Spanish, Portuguese, French, Italian, And where the origin comes from is from the romantic writers or romantic poets. And so these poets would write and tell these stories. And in these stories, there was this understanding that they were born out of the romantic languages. And so as time went on, when people wanted to describe a certain kind of love or relationship, they would say that's romantic. And what they were referring to are the poems of the romantic languages. And they would say, that's romantic. And immediately in the minds of people, oh, yeah, yeah, we know what you're saying there. That it captured uh, how they viewed a certain kind of love that had been articulated in these poems. And there were three main elements to them that I just want to touch on very quickly that were part of these poems of romance that kind of help us understand what we try to, what we mean when we talk about being romantic or having some romance. The first one is it always included the element of courage. It was the picture of the man as heroic who would do something courageous uh, in order to save his girl uh, or to rescue his girl. Uh, and it always depicted the strong man uh, who would come uh, and do something romantic uh, and, he would, uh, and courageous. Uh, and he would save the girl from the dragon. Uh, and the girl, goes, oh, how romantic. That there was something inside of a woman that wanted to be saved, that wanted to be rescued. It's not so much that she is needy, but that she saw herself as worthy. That I'm worth something. In the Bible, Caleb wanted to take control of a mountain. He had waited 45 years to conquer a mountain. There were giants on this mountain. And he said, how do I motivate uh, some young men to go and take that mountain? I know how. Whoever takes this mountain can marry my daughter. And by saying that, he's saying to his daughter, Aksa, you are a valuable little girl. You have worth. And he's saying to the young man, you know what? You're going to have to be courageous if you're going to get married. And there was a young man named Othniel that took off up that mountain. There was something romantic about that. There's something about uh, a woman that says this guy is going to do something courageous. That is why girls uh, will fall in love with military guys, you know what I mean? And, and uh, you read the stories leading up to World War II. We never had as many marriages as we had uh, that took place right after Pearl Harbor. Uh, and there, there was something about the young man in uniform coming home who's on his way to fight the Japanese or the Germans. And yes, I do. Moses comes across poor and her sisters being bullied by some shepherds and Moses defends them and the next verse they get married because there's something about courage that means something you know we were in bible study Friday night and I shared a little bit of this with the teenagers to try to help them have a right view of romance and my wife's there in the back row and she goes tell them about the spider and I'm like, you know, the spider. And it's teenage balsam is great because they were all babies when I used to tell these stories. They so don't know them. But I thought I would throw it in here, you know, in the sermon this morning as I'm talking about courage. When Yolanda and I were uh, 18 years old and we had begun to, to court, we were, I'm going to confess something. I used to be in the choir in Tucson. That's funny. And... Uh, and, uh, and so I did it because I wanted a free trip to Prescott Conference. And so we, we were in Prescott, and our, car, our choir sang. And that night after church, Yolanda was staying with a family from the Prescott Church, little white clapboard house there in Prescott up in the mountains there. And they had a wooden porch, and I'm on the wooden porch calling on her on Thursday night, and the family's there inside the house. And we're there, and my wife, we're not married yet, but she's mad at me. All right, 18-year-old girl, mad. I know it's hard to fathom. And so, you know, and I'm an 18-year-old, you know, what's wrong? What's wrong? (laughs) Nothing. No, what's wrong? Nothing. What's wrong? What's wrong? Nothing. And so what happens is right about that time, a big spider you know, this is up in the mountains summertime. Goes, comes crawling up the side on this white clapboard house. This spider comes up, and Yolanda sees it, and she goes, ah. <laughs> so in my mind, I'm going to break the curse, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill this spider, uh, and she's going to be my hero. And, uh, and so I thought I was Bruce Lee. I don't know why I did this, uh, but I jumped high in the air and kicked uh, the spider I missed a spider, fell on my back. It shook the wall, and the spider was dislodged from the wall and fell to the ground, and he's ticked. And he begins running at me, and Yolanda goes over there and squishes the spider before it kills me. Yolanda is laughing so hard that she is delivered from whatever was angering her. And the name, the people from the church open the doors. Everything okay out here? <laughs> Courage. <laughs> That's why, sister, don't be the aggressive female. There's nothing romantic about the aggressive female. Amen. Let's me and you go out. Marcus told me once, he was at school, Southwest, comes home and said, Man, Dad, there was a great fight today. I said, Really? What happened? Because, man, these two girls, they they were fighting, they were getting after it. Why? They were fighting over some guy. And I thought, there's nothing more unromantic than you're standing there, dude, watching two girls fight over you, and the one that wins, fat lip, bloody nose, black eye. Come on, let's go. And you know. <laughs> There's nothing romantic about that. You know what else included? It included the element of adventure. These poems very often depicted a relationship born of a greater purpose. See, the problem with the modern romance as depicted by the movies today is it's just, we love each other, and we're finally going to be with each other, and that's it, and then the credits roll, and we don't know whatever happens to them because their relationship is all based on them. It's all based on on them, and you meet my need, and I'll meet your need. But a true romance, it was about something greater. It was about let's marry for the adventure of life. Let's marry for the destiny that we will now share together. What will happen? What will our life produce? I was so moved when we showed that movie, The Nativity, and the way they portrayed the story of Joseph and Mary as a love affair, that here are these two people that... uh, uh were basically uh, uh, married out of uh, uh, of, uh, of the decisions of others uh, and then uh, uh, in the circumstances of Mary's pregnancy and Joseph's decision to stand by her. But out of that couple, when they got married, they began to understand that a marriage where Jesus Christ is the most important thing in our marriage, it triggers destiny and adventure. You want to have a frustrated marriage, let it be all about just you two let it be all about what he can do for you or what she can do for you eventually you will begin to realize that person doesn't have it in them to meet all your needs but when you join together and realize our marriage was meant to produce something greater to give our lives to a greater cause there's something very romantic that begins to happen because you realize that is what marriage is all about you know, the other yesterday, Yolanda and I were somewhere, and we actually stopped by just to look at a car, and the car salesman was talking to us, and he's a Christian man, and he says, are oh, you a pastor? I said, yeah, and what are you pastor? I said, over here, you know, at the door, and I said, you know, I made the comment, we've been married 30, he, he made something about, oh, so you're the pastor's wife. I said, we've been married 30 years, and he said something, and so you still like his preaching? And she said, that's why I married him. That's a good one right there. She didn't have to buy me a gift. She already, she already hooked me up for Valentine. I. Adventure. That's adventure. Thirdly, it was purity. One of the major problems of romance today is it's always portrayed as sexual. They meet in the first scene, and then they're in bed in the second scene. And we are being reinforced. That's why if you let your children have a healthy diet of Hollywood... Movies and TV, you got to understand what they're doing to your kid. They're teaching them that if you love somebody, that's what you do. And yet the poets had an entirely different view of romantic love. It was the idea that if you love somebody, you protected their honor. You stood... Far the words Miguel Cervantes the Spanish writer who wrote uh, Don Quixote de la Mancha and the words to love pure and chaste from afar that doesn't mean anything in our society to love pure and chaste from afar the idea that you love but it's not the love that automatically means how can I violate them how can I misuse them What is romantic is for a man to say, you know what? I love this woman. I am going to honor you. I am going to protect your honor. There used to be a term. You're shacking up. Listen to me. I'm not trying to get on your case. I'm telling you something. There used to be a term when people lived together. They would say to the man, when are you going to make an honest woman of her? The idea is that, hey, dude, you're supposed to protect her honor true love honors purity that's romantic I am not going to take advantage of you I am not going to exploit you I am not going to use you that's romance that's what it was meant to be that is what it was designed to be okay let me close and talk about the romance of the soul because I want you to see something bigger here as I finish this sermon, and that is the gospel is a romantic story. It's more than just religion. If you think Christianity is just rules and religion and church, it misses, you missed the point altogether. These poets were drawing from the Bible and their stories of love and adventure and courage and purity were actually capturing the gospel story, and that is God's pure love for a wayward people. John 15, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. They said Edward Eighth is the most romantic story because he left the throne to marry this woman jesus said greater love hath no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends and i want you to listen to me just for the next couple of minutes and i'll finish this sermon i want to help you understand this there is in the bible the story of a prophet by the name of hosea hosea marries a woman named gomer how many know that'd be a drag to be a woman named gomer gomer has problems Gomer is married to Hosea, but she is running out on him. She's running out. Bad, bad scene. And Hosea would pray, and God said, go get her. And he would go down to the worst areas of town, and there would be Gomer. And he would say, come on. And there were times where Gomer said, I want to go with you. Get away from me. Leave me alone. Come on. I mean, it's a heavy story, man. And and then God said, you know why I allowed this story to happen in the Bible? Because I want mankind, us, to understand that is how I see you. I love you. I love you. And that you're always running out on me. You are wayward. You are doing your own thing. You're living your own life. You do whatever you feel like doing. And he identifies the romantic notion of a, of a man who loves a woman who will not love him back. And he says, if you want to understand my love for mankind, it's that right there. It's romantic. Listen to these words God says in the book of Hosea. He's referring to himself as the husband who is trying to reach the wayward wife. It says, "'Therefore, behold, I will allure her. "'I will bring her into the wilderness "'and speak comfort to her. "'I will give her vineyards from there "'and the valley of Achor is a door of hope. "'She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, "'as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. "'It shall be in that day, says the Lord, "'that you will call me my husband.'" No longer will call me my master. Now, what struck me is I began to think about romance, began to search the pages of the Bible, and found this term, I will allure her. Some translations say, I will woo her. Romance. And here is God who could say to any one of us, because we have rebelled, we have done our own thing, he could say, forget you. And yet he doesn't. He says, I will woo her. I will allure her. You know, one translation says, I will give her a bouquet of roses. In other words, God looks at us and says, you know what, I love you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. I love you. And I want you to see me as the courageous one, as the one who can rescue you. I want you to see me as the one that if you will devote yourself to me, your life will be an adventure. I want you to see my love as pure. I'm not gonna misuse you. I'm not gonna set you aside. I'm not gonna kick you to the curb. There are some women here. God love you, but listen to me this morning. Your whole adult life and even some of your youth, it's been one man after another. You don't even know how to live life without some man hanging on to your life. And yet those same men have done nothing but rip you off. And now that you've given your life to Jesus Christ, listen to me, dear. The best thing you could do is maybe leave men alone for a while and find out the pure love of Jesus